Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so happy that you've joined me for today's show. First of all, let me begin by saying it is April 14th, one of my favorite days of the year. Happy birthday to our baby girl, Macy Mize. We are so proud of you. Just in case you listen to your mama's show, (laughs) I wanted you to hear that uh, today. So anyway, moving right along, we are continuing our series, This Kid Doesn't Play, Solutions for Common Problems. And so for the last, oh, I think this is maybe the hmm, seventh or eighth show in this series, for for those last several shows, we have been talking about what do we do when a kid can't play? And when a kid won't play with you. And remember why play is so important? That's how little kids learn everything. So when a child doesn't interact with us for all the various reasons that we've been discussing, it can be problematic because there's likely a negative impact on his language acquisition, on the number of words that he can say, and certainly the number of words that he can understand. So what we've done over this last and again, I think this might be the ninth, eighth or ninth show in this series, is take these various problems, talk about what might be going on with that kid, look at related situations, and then most importantly, we look at solutions for each problem. And so today we're talking about echolalia, or as I've worded it in uh, the book that this information is from, I called it lost in her own words instead of playing or listening. And because that's what, when I wrote this book back in 2010, I remember that I was seeing a couple of little friends who were both echolalic, and they were kind of different but the same, if you know what I mean. Uh, One was a little boy and one was a little girl, and they both had lots and lots of echolalia. And I remember just during sessions looking at both of those children and thinking, you're just lost right there in what you're saying and what you are uh, thinking about and and trying to process and make sense of. And that's why I called it when I wrote the book, Teach Me to Play With You, Lost in Own Words Instead of Playing or Listening. And that's what parents would say too. Both of their parents described them as, you know, she just won't listen. All she's doing is talking. And we had to really tease that out with, you know, there's a big difference in communicating and talking. Some children just speak and will say their own words. And sometimes you can understand them and sometimes you can't. Uh, and, and they do look like, oh, they're not listening because they're not talking. My other little friend who I was seeing at the time that I wrote Teach Me to Play With You, who was really, really echolalic, did try to use his echolalic uh, phrases that he used over and over and over. He did try to use them meaningfully, but a lot of times they really interfered with what we were trying to do with play because he sort of got stuck on it. To me, it seemed like, hey, I know this doesn't really, really fit, but I'm trying to get you to understand a related uh, something that sparked my interest here, and I could sort of follow it, but a lot of times it really interfered with what we were doing, and I felt like, again, he would just kind of get stuck there because on some level he knew this doesn't quite fit, and I'm desperately trying to get you to help me through this. So that's why I called it that if if that little 
title seems confusing to you if you're a mom and you're just unfamiliar with echolalia or what that means or what that looks like, or if you are a therapist and you're thinking, hmm, I've never thought about it that way, that was uh, that kind of takes me back in time <laughs> to thinking about those particular children and, and what I was working on professionally uh, when I wrote Teach Me to Play With You. Now, I've mentioned Teach Me to Play With You. That's a book that this information is from. So if you are a parent or a therapist and you want a written summary of the information that's covered in this series, get yourself a, a copy of that book. You can order it at my website, teachmetotalk.com. And don't forget to use the special coupon code just for podcast listeners, which is podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That will never, ever go um, out of uh, validity. We'll keep that forever. If you are listening now in 2017, in April, we are currently running an even uh, better sale, I think. I'm not that great at math, like most speech pathologists. Uh, but we, if you want to use the coupon code AUTISM, but again, if you're listening to the show months from now or years from now, that coupon code may not work. Try the podcast coupon code instead. All right, so let's get back to today's topic. So echolalia or a kid who seems to talk but not really interact and again that's what the the professional label for that would be echolalia a kid who might quote lines from a movie or a song or a book or a television show rather than than really really generating their own spontaneous words and phrases and sentences Sometimes this can also be related, uh, not necessarily echolalia, but kids who use a lot of jargon or lots of babbling. Sometimes the parent will describe it like that. Sometimes the parent will say, it's just all gibberish. They're trying really, really hard to talk to me, but I have no idea what they're saying or they're talking in their own language. So that's, that's kind of the broad um issue that we're talking about today. And remember, we're relating all of this to play. So our strategies are going to really be tailored, not necessarily to every single situation where we might encounter echolalia. But remember, we are specifically relating this to how do we get this kid to play with me? How do we get him to interact with me in the context of doing something really, really fun together? So since I've used the term echolalia several times now, let's just talk about what echolalia is and diagnostically what it can mean. Um, and usually professionals do define echolalia as extensive quoting. And again, meaning something that they've heard previously that they repeat. And echolalia can be immediate echolalia, uh, meaning that you say something and they, and they repeat you verbatim. So let's say the child's name is Brandon and you say hi Brandon and he looks right back at you and says hi Brandon and then you say oh my goodness and he says oh my goodness so it's pretty much a direct echo hence the name echolalia uh, as soon as you said it so that's immediate echolalia now delayed echolalia is a little trickier if you don't know the kid and if you don't know the context because the child starts saying something and it a lot of times it doesn't quite fit the situation <laughs> that you are currently experiencing with that child and it leaves you kind of wondering hmm where did he get that 
And so sometimes delayed echolalia is, you know, it can be something he's just heard his mom say over and over and over. Or, again, we talked about that quoting from a book or a movie or, or a television show or something that he's heard before. Um, and, again, sometimes we don't even know that a kid is using echolalia because his speech intelligibility could be so affected. So you, he has to to get more sounds in the right places before you even realize, <laughs> oh, my goodness, he's trying to quote something that he's memorized for uh, from something else. So sometimes we have to listen really carefully for that intonation and try to match it to something that the child watches or hears frequently. And so if you, if you hear your child saying something that sounds the same, but you can't quite make it out, really start to listen for what that might be on a favorite show or maybe an older child says something that he's, a child that he loves that he's trying to imitate. And I've had that happen with several kids. Um, I frequently say, I love it when a kid's done something that I really like. And sometimes parents kind of mock me. <laughs> I could tell I had a family that did it all the time. They would look right at me and do it right to my face, and they meant it kind of in a teasing way, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but so I've had several kids, I'll hear the, the intonation of, ah, 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 and I think, oh, my goodness, you know, now I recognize that after, you know, 20 years of occasionally hearing a kid try to imitate it, I try to listen so closely to their pity or their vowels to think, you know, what could that be? Again, sometimes that prosody or that intonation really, really lets you know, oh, my goodness, he's trying to say this. He just doesn't have all those sounds in the right places. So when when you do that and when you figure that out, it, it can be really, really enlightening. And we'll, talk, we'll go on to talk about that in just a minute, about how echolalia can be really, really insightful for what a kid is processing and what he's thinking about and what's important to him when he's not using language in a more meaningful way. Now, let's go ahead and talk about diagnostically what we think about when we hear a lot of echolalia. And let me just say, all repetition in new talkers is not a bad thing. Children have to imitate. We want imitation. My goodness, that's the crux of expressive language development. And imitation is a really, really, really important skill. So we certainly don't want to think every time that a kid is repeating us that it is bad because it is most certainly not. Or And bad is a kind of a, a not the right word for that, but it's negative. It's just when echolalia or that repeating becomes um, really, really, it interferes with that interaction that you're trying to get going. When a kid is just, again, as I described it before, kind of lost, and I'm going to stop what I'm doing right here and kind of get, get off the rails and say my own thing when it really is not related to anything uh, that we're doing here. So, uh, again, though, remember that all imitation is not bad, and we do want kids to imitate us. We do want them to repeat what we've said because that's certainly how they learn, and it's a really, really important part of learning how to talk, too. Don't get – if you're a parent and you're kind of confused by this, echolalia is uh, really, really, really common in children with autism. It's uh, but again, if your kid is repeating a lot and you're 
that makes you really, really afraid that I just said that. I don't necessarily want you to think that either because, again, as I've said now six or seven times, uh, repetition and imitation is such an important part of early language development. It just becomes, again, an interference when a child can't seem to move on from that or when you can't determine that there's anything that you can go on that that's related to what you're doing. And again, that's what makes communication really, really interactive. All right. Let me go on and say, too, that, you know, there's really a silver lining with kids who are echolalic, uh, kids who are on the spectrum when they're echolalic. And again, sometimes we look at echolalia as such a negative diagnostic indicator. It is associated with autism. We've also other kids or other kids who have other issues going on, kids who have some cognitive issues can sort of get stuck in this imitative phase and everything seems a little bit like echolalia and then they get more language and they're able to move on. But let's talk about primarily children who are on the spectrum. And I like to look at echolalia as actually a positive indicator. And here's why. Research tells us that 85% of kids who are on the spectrum who acquire speech do use echolalia a lot in the beginning. So for me, <laughs> I've turned around how I look at echolalia and think, oh, my goodness, we're on the right track. And, you know, I've written about, I wrote about echolalia several years ago when we first launched uh, Teach Me to Talk, the website, um, you know, about 10 years ago. And I wrote a couple of articles about echolalia. And even then, I was writing that, you know, there's a silver lining for echolalia because at least that kid is talking. You are hearing him try. You know that he can form intelligible words and sentences and put them together. He can string together long, 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 long uh, syllable patterns. And that's actually fantastic news. What we have to do for those kids, they know how to talk. They just don't always link meaning to what they're saying. And that's why sometimes echolalia seems so confusing because it does seem like a kid is just regurgitating what he or she um, might have heard in another context. And so it can feel a little out of sorts. But again, if you're a parent, and especially if you're a therapist, I would just challenge you to try to kind of turn that around and think about that as a positive indicator that at least this kid can talk. Now we've got to get the language piece going. Now we've got to get, uh, again, comprehension going. Now we've got to get some purposefulness going. We've got to really help this kid assign meaning with what he or she can say and how another person would interpret that and respond to that. Um, a great, great resource for understanding echolalia and the four stages of kids who use a lot of echolalia. One of the best reference materials I've ever seen on this is a book by a speech pathologist uh, named Marge. Oh, my goodness, I can't remember her last name. Let me see if I can find it right here in my references. Yeah, Marge Blanc or Marge Blank. I'm not, uh, probably Blanc. And her book is Natural Language Acquisition on the Autism Spectrum, The Journey from Echolalia to Self-Generated Language. If you're a speech pathologist and find yourself just really, really perplexed by echolalia and you really want to understand it and dig in, I highly recommend that book. I do a whole section on echolalia in my course. Um, is it autism? And it, that's in part 
do so treating toddlers and preschoolers with red flags for ASD. So also that that course may be helpful because we review that information, looking at the six stages uh, of echolalia and how kids, and I think before I said four stages and it's actually six, but those stages and, and walking through uh, how kids move from just lifting those single or multiple word phrases that don't really seem to fit any situation. There's no real communicative intent there. They're just repeating what they've heard. You know, that's kind of how echolalia begins, but a lot of times kids really move into the stage that I described that little boy in earlier. He would say something that almost fit the situation, and so you had to be a little bit of a detective to get in there and think, oh, he's saying this because that reminded him of this, but I think what he's trying to say to me could be this. And so one of the things that we do is really match what a child is trying to say and what he should be communicating with what we're doing there. And so we can use echolalia in that context, again, as a really, really, uh, light or a way into understanding how that child is processing language and understanding what he's trying his best to let us know. So again, get yourself, we're not going to review all of that information here on the show today because that's beyond the context of what we're doing here, but that may be, that course may be super, super helpful for you if you are really trying to determine um, strategies beyond what we're going to talk about today on this show with a kid who's already been diagnosed with autism and you're wondering what you can do to treat that. All right, so let's talk about the more basic strategies. What are things we can do as moms and dads and as therapists who are just getting going with a kid when we have a kid who is really, really repeating? And remember, we're talking about not only kids who have echolalia, but kids who also may be using jargon. Now, what's jargon? Jargon would be, that's professionally defined as unintelligible sentence-length utterances. So long, long strings of things you can't understand, and we've already said that parents might say this is gibberish or baby talk or jibber-jabber or whatever. Uh, but again, remember, a lot of times kids, especially if they're over two and they're primarily using jargon, that really indicates a receptive language problem. And again, it means I know how to put sounds together and I know how to talk. I just don't really know how to communicate or how to put those words together in a way uh, language-wise where I'm really linking, you know, symbolically linking this set of sounds with this object or this event or this person. And so again, they're, they're missing that comprehension piece. And so we have to really, really take a close look at that because a lot of times we assume that jargon is an expressive language or an, intellig an intelligibility problem, an articulation problem. And sometimes it's deeper than that. It's really the language problem. But sometimes we don't understand what a kid is saying and they seem to kind of be lost in what they're saying uh, when they really are using what they believe to be real words and what we if we if they had the right sounds in the right places we would understand that as uh, a real word or a real phrase and so certainly that can happen too and so if you're a parent and you're trying to decide gosh is this a real word or is this not a real word I always think you know get somebody else to listen to it with you and see if they can help you decipher 
uh, what's going on. Usually if there's a pattern with that, I, I always kind of err on the side of, gosh, he's saying the same sounds for this, whatever he's trying to tell me here. I, I don't exactly know what he means, but I'm going to err on the side of the kit and think, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, I've got to figure this out. He's really, really trying here. and Let me see what I can do within myself to uh, try to understand that. Sometimes, though, kids will use, um, sounds in the same way, we've talked about the same pattern, that they really are self-stimulatory, meaning that they just like internally, some, for some reason, how either that those sequence of sounds sound to them. It could be that they like how they feel in their little mouths when they're saying it. Uh, and let me give you some examples. A really common one that therapists kind of use all the time is digga, 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 digga. I can't do it today. My diadocokinetic rate is off. I'm really tired. Uh, but digga, digga, digga might be one that a kid might say over and over and over and over and over. And, you know, we hear that pattern frequently enough for speech therapists to kind of recognize it. And again, that's just really probably um, in most of the time a self-stimulatory little phrase that a kid has picked up. And so there's not a real meaning there. And so sometimes my point here is, is that you can have a pattern and it not be meaningful. So you'll just have to sort of sort that out and figure out um, for each specific kid what might be going on there. All right, let's move on to strategies. We've defined this problem. We've talked about echolalia, what it is. We've talked about what it could mean diagnostically. So now let's move on and specifically nail down these strategies. Now remember, when a kid does seem sort of lost in what they're saying and they're not really engaged or interacting with you, that's always where we start. So you may not try to always understand or figure out the words or make a connection. Your first step should probably be, hey, I've got to get this kid to redirect his or her attention to me. I need to get them to interact with me and engage with me. And a lot of times when we kind of forget about <laughs> what they're saying, which sounds really odd coming from a speech-language pathologist, but we focus more on the interaction piece and the engagement piece, a lot of things really start to fall into place because you're addressing the core issue. The core issue is the kid isn't engaged with you and isn't really paying attention to you and trying to interact with you. And so we've talked a lot about that uh, on this show. Even in this series, back in show number one of this series, we looked at how to help a kid really learn how to connect with other people. So let's not repeat those strategies here. Let's just know that that's where we have to start with the kid with echolalia is pulling them back into that one-on-one -on -one interaction that's going on with you. And remember, I will just say that social games are the very best way to get that going. And if you need some help with that, go back and listen to some archived shows about social games or get your hands on a copy, get your hands on a copy of that book that I mentioned earlier, Teach Me to Play With You, because it will walk you through step by step. You know, how do we play games like peekaboo? How do we play a game like uh, Ring Around the Rosies or Ride a Little Horsey? What are my goals here? If I can't get a kid to even want to play with me at all, where do I start? How do, how do I get his attention? That book will walk you through it. And that's the first step. In, in helping kind of pull a kid in so that they are super, super engaged with you, especially when they do seem to be lost in clothing from their favorite movies or books or things like that. All right, so, so I've mentioned, let's move on to strategy number two. 
I've mentioned this previously, but I want to go back and be sure that you understand it. For a kid who is using a word or a phrase in a self-stimulatory way when she's excited, model something that's more appropriate for that situation. I've had kids do that before where for one reason, whatever's happened, they just they pick up the wrong phrase at the wrong time. <laughs> and so you know that they're trying to say something like, yay, or I did it, and they just picked up something else. And so what we need to do there is really, really redirect the kid and give them what they could. And, and let me tell you, this is really interesting with kids with echolalia. If you say it enough, and if you do it enough, they will repeat it, <laughs> which is actually a really good thing. You know, don't always look at that as negative either. And I know some of you who are therapists are maybe kind of thinking, mm, not so sure I want to go that way. You do want to help them acquire words that they understand, and you do want to help them link meaning, and you are going to use that strength that you know that they possess of helping them, of, of repeating you. So you're just going to help them. You're going to move them along and give them what they should say in context that would fit the situation better than what their phrase seems to be that they um, are using that, that seems off or that seems not to fit the situation. Uh, sometimes the kid uh, needs a, a word or a phrase to help them calm or regulate. So again, you might try a phrase that would fit the situation such as I need help or I'm really mad or something like that, again, that's going to help them express what's going on when they don't seem to be able to find the words, but they're trying because you know, you know they're trying because they're using something that's out of context there. Uh, and again, we've the third strategy here is making sure that we uh, know that echolalia can certainly serve a purpose. And so, again, for that kid who's trying, who's let's say, let's take another example. Let's say a kid who's walking around kind of aimlessly quoting a book or a movie really might just be saying, hey, I need something to do, or I want to do something related to this, and I can't say, you know, I want to play with trucks but you've heard him say a phrase that kind of lets you know maybe there's a truck movie or a truck quoting a book that has something to do with trucks, and he can't ask you for that. Or let's say, let's take something more functional. Let's say that he's, um, oh, let me give you this example. I have a little girl who that I used to work with who's older now, and she's actually in the Is It Autism course, some video clips of her. And I think this clip of her is in there as well. Anytime someone came to the door, she wanted to greet them. But the only way that she knew to greet them <laughs> was from a line in a Charlie Brown Christmas movie. And so she would go to the door, and she, again, she's trying to say something to the person at the door. But all she can really lift is that phrase from the Charlie Brown movie. And so you see, gosh, she's really trying. She just needs something better to say. So you'll, again, use the strategy that we just talked about in, with, I'm going to help her find something that fits the situation better than what she's trying to do on her own. Uh, sometimes we'll hear this with a kid who will walk up to his mom and say, hold you, hold you. 
And a lot of times they'll even say it with a kind of a question, intonation, hold you, because a lot of times moms have said, do you want me to hold you? And so they've lifted that little hold you, hold you, and you hear it, it but you know what they mean. You know that they're saying hold me, hold me, and but they've just taken those last two words. And that's a really good example of echolalia if you're a parent and you're thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure what she's talking about here, where a kid kind of lifts what he's heard verbatim and then spits it back out at you and doesn't change anything. And we know as a child's language matures, he'll change. And if he understands more, that comprehension piece is so important, he'll change that hold you to hold me. But he's trying really, really hard, again, to express himself, and we need to meet him where he is and give him the right words to say. Um, I had a little boy one time who used to really say, good job, Jack. Every time he did something that he liked, because that's what his mom would say, his mom and dad, and actually his speech pathologist uh, named Laura, too. And so we learned pretty quickly, gosh, we need to quit saying this child's name because he's going to say it, put it back in phrases, and we don't necessarily, uh, you know, that sounds a little odd to someone who doesn't know Jack and understand his, uh, where he is in his language learning continuum. So, again, we had to teach him, I did it, or yay for me, or, you know, a little phrase like that that was found a little more appropriate for the situation. Um, And let's go back and and really revisit again. I want to end the show kind of on a high note to really, really um, highlight the fact that when a kid is repeating there, they are trying so hard. We can see it. It might be really frustrating for us because we think, oh, my goodness, you know, this. Uh, he, parents have said, you know, I don't want him to be singled out for saying things that seem to be different than what a teacher expects. I don't want people to think that he's different or weird or any of those other real-life things. But, again, as a, as, if you're listening to me and you think, I can't believe that therapist just said that, that's, I, I'm, I'm real life. And I am repeating (laughs) what real-life moms and dads have said to me. And this is what kind of gets to the core of any parent who has a child with a developmental difference. You know, we don't want our kids to be singled out. And as a mom of a kid who is now an adult, thank you, God, (laughs) that he made it to adulthood, who had some learning differences and some personality quirks growing up, you know, sometimes you just pray and pray and pray. Uh, not only that they are going to overcome what their particular challenge is, but you you also hope that nobody sees it and that nobody will single him out for that different playing. So, again, while echolalia may be troubling to you right now, while it may be uh, a little bit embarrassing for a parent, Try not to look at that. Try to really spin this as positive. And you're going to want to do that with your family members as well, with talking with them and saying, you know, I heard this I heard this statistic that 85% of kids who have autism who go on to be, uh, who, who acquire speech, who acquire the ability to communicate with other people, this is how it starts. And, and I know that, and I'm so glad that she's in that 85% rather than, the third or even up to a half of kids with autism that don't talk at all. And so certainly when you contrast a kid who is speaking and who is saying something, the child who is completely silent 
you certainly can appreciate the uh, differences there and and how monumental that is that a child is moving on to be able to uh, use some language that's uh, really really appropriate but echolalia can be a really important step toward functional communication for lots and lots of children and again remember let, let me just say this um, all kids who learn how to talk go through really similar stages. And so kids who, and all kids who learn how to talk have a, a phase where they are really, really repeating what other people say. It's that early imitative phase. And remember, we've already said that's good. And so when we think about children with developmental delays, they do tend to just get stuck in phases longer than children with typically developing language. And so certainly if we will we'll kind of change how we think about kids with autism who are echolalic, if we think about it, man, he's just kind of right here. He's just going to stay in this phase. He's going to plateau here longer than we would see in a kid with a typically developing system, typically developing language skills. And if we kind of look at it as not as um, abnormal or un um, you know, a real deficit, but if we look at it as, man, he's got to spend some more time here. He's just going to have to stay in this phase a lot longer than I would want him to. That does seem to make it a little more tolerable or palpable <laughs> for, and that might be for a parent especially. So even if you're a therapist and you're listening to this, that might be a way to help explain echolalia to parents that they understand it a little bit better. Uh, sometimes parents, though, kind of go the other way and don't recognize that a child is echolalic at all. And so you have to really point that out that, gosh, she's not really interacting with you or she's not really using this talking that she's doing isn't really directed toward another person or to another person. And that's a really important distinction. Children who are learning to talk, we need to emphasize the communicative aspects of that. So it's not just about saying the words. It's how does she use the words? How does she direct that to another person? How does she let you know? purposely and with with fantastic communicative intent that she wants you to do something for her or that what she's saying isn't just for her own internal pleasure that it's really really directed towards someone and that's a really important distinction that sometimes parents don't notice or no one's ever no one's ever pointed that out to them and they may have thought from time to time gosh what my child is saying you know she's saying some things and or let's take something like counting or um, saying the alphabet or something that seems the days of the week, something that seems more academic. And again, it's kind of those skills are impressive for children when they are, you know, counting to 100 when they're two. Or let's say that they've learned some, um, even to sing, I had a little girl one time who sang happy birthday in four different languages. And that, that was really impressive. And her parents were proud of that, and they really showed that off to their friends. And, again, because their little girl struggled with so many other things, it was such a strength for them to be able to say, hey, she can't do these things, but look at what she can do. And so, again, you want to you wanna walk that line when you're a therapist between recognizing a child's strengths and supporting his strengths and pointing out the positives with saying to a parent, but – 
this is where we need to go with that, or this is this is why this is not exactly what we want to see, and why we want to celebrate it and recognize it and be proud of it at the same time. Let's tweak it <laughs> so that we can move it along and so that we can make all of those wonderful words that she's using interactive and so that she learns how to communicate and not just talk. And so, again, we work a parent through that and we ride that fine line, positive yet realistic <laughs> yet objective while you're still being that child's primary cheerleader along with his or her parents and again that can be a really really fine line to walk and you have to again always stay grounded in if you're a therapist you know working with a family this family this is their baby this is all of their hopes and dreams are tied up in this child and this wonderful creature that they've brought into this world and they never, ever expected anything not to be perfect. And so we have to really, really remember how easy it is as a parent to get our feelings crushed (laughs) when someone says something about our child that we know it's true and that it's objective, but it still hurts and hurts and hurts when we hear that kind of thing about our baby that we love and we're not sure that things will ever be normal or okay and so really really remember that place as a therapist that again we want to tell parents the truth we want to give them information that they need to know about their child and that's why they are seeking out our services but at the same time they parents are so likely to get their hearts broken when we are sharing information that's not so positive and uplifting. So we have to always, again, be sure that we are writing uh, writing that fine line. I read a Facebook post. I hardly do Facebook anymore uh, because I was really addicted to social media and had to kind of pull that back so that I could, you know, do other things, do the things I was supposed to do. But I read a, uh, because I posted for my daughter's birthday today, I read a post that a mom had written on my wall. And it was so sweet, and she talked about this. She said, and her child now is seven, so she was recognizing he has apraxia, and she was recognizing um, going back and celebrating that he was graduating from speech therapies in first grade. And so she was thanking the people that worked with him, and she included me in that. It was so sweet. And I was the first person to really see him professionally. I think they had another – actually, that's not true. I know that they had another speech pathologist, but she brought him to me for another opinion. And they live in Kentucky, so I saw this kid quite frequently as compared to some of the other little friends that I've met from different states that I only get to see, you know, once or twice or a couple times a year for a couple years, and then they move on because they outgrow me. (laughs) But anyway, she said, and it was so poignant, she said in this post, um, you know, she's thanking me, and she said, for helping me see everything that he could do right. And that is such an important lesson. I can't believe I'm getting so emotional about it, but it is really, really, really important as we're working with families that we share, again, not only what we see professionally that's not so great, but what their kid can do. And so I know this show is a little shorter, and I'm sorry I've sort of gotten emotional about it here at the end, but it's so, so important that we give parents hope. And so let's just kind of leave the show (laughs) Here in this place today, uh, I hope that I've given you some new strategies to use for echolalia. And, again, if you need a written summary of that, go back and get 
uh, Teach Me to Play With You, which is a fantastic resource, especially for children, babies, kids who are, you know, one and early two-year-olds, and you've got to get that interaction going. Teach Me to Play With You will walk you through that. Echolalia is a section in that, in that course that you can uh, look at. And then if you are a therapist, and you need some help with your kids who are echolalic, get yourself a copy of the course, Is It Autism? Especially part two, there's a whole section on echolalia, and you can uh, walk through those six stages of echolalia and get really, really specific advice for not only why a kid is doing what he's doing, but also how to move a kid along so that we uh, meet him where he is. We're recognizing the strengths. He can talk, but at the same time, again, we're keeping that language going. All right, that's all for this week. Uh, again, if you're uh, used to your hour workout and this has only been a 40-minute show, you get the rest of the time off. <laughs> all right, have a great week. We'll be back next week with another show. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.